So, first off, let me give an, uh, a breakdown. We all kind of understand what lookalikes are, but I'll, I'll give a short breakdown of lookalikes, and then I'm going to give a long-winded detail of what interest groups are. So, lookalikes. If you upload a set of data to Facebook, it's a sort of population, Facebook will understand what these people have in common and try to find more people that are like them, right? So maybe you upload, maybe you have a, uh, an audience of everybody that's purchased something in the last six months. This is a great lookalike audience. Remember, hint, hint for your homework. It's a great lookalike audience because it's going to find you everybody that's bought your product. So it's going to deliver you more people that are likely to buy your product. That's a great audience of finding people who look like your previous buyers so you can find more buyers out in the world. Another audience that's great is a value-based lookalike audience, right? So a value-based lookalike audience is telling you which people are of most value. Now, what Facebook defines this is, is who's likely to spend the most money. These are high AOV buyers. Now, if you have multiple products in your store, maybe you're selling things for 10 bucks and you're also selling things for $100. Um, and this is you know something I use in a lot of brands, is you can have an audience of high value purchasers. So these are high AOV buyers. So the first audience is really good for you, hint, hint for your homework. The first audience is really good for you because it, um, because it delivers you, it's gonna allow you to find as many buyers as possible, which is probably gonna get you really good at getting purchases for a low cost. The high AOV buyers, the value-based buyers, are people gonna give you a very high average order value. Now, if you launch both of those against each other, your Facebook is gonna ultimately optimize towards people that are either low cost or deliver a high AOV. So you're gonna get super great efficiency either on CPA or you're gonna get good efficiency by a higher ROAS. So those are two great business objectives to build lookalikes off of and that's your homework. If you just write that back down and send it to me, you get the ebooks for free. Um, other lookalike audiences that are great is maybe you're doing one of your CRM database. So it's every one of your email, everybody on your email list. So these are people that have signed up to hear about you whether they purchased or not. And this is a great audience to find more people who are interested in your brand. Right, that just kind of makes sense. So those are great lookalike audiences. And what it does is it takes the audience that you have and it finds other people who behave and look like them based on a lot of data points, right? I mean, we're talking, we're tracking thousands of actions against millions of websites across billions of users. So this is tens of trillions of data points all to try to find you somebody else that's likely to buy you your product, which is what a salesperson realistically, if somebody's really good at sales for your company, or if somebody's just a really good salesperson, they're going to be able to go out onto a convention floor, just walk the street and understand who's a good mark and who isn't, right? I mean, this is the kind of thing that salespeople do, or I said mark, I guess con men are also really good at, but you're able to identify who, even when you walk into a room, you're probably able to take a scan of the room and immediately identify, I can probably be friends with this person, I'm not gonna talk to that person, just by sheer looks. Within 30 seconds, you're gonna have a good idea of where you're gonna spend your time in that party, right? So you're just letting Facebook do the same thing. Now, interest groups. Interest groups are built around the idea that somebody has shown a level of interest in a thing. Now, the misconception is that an interest group cares about what you think about that thing. And that's, that's the fallacy, is an interest group doesn't actually level, manage a level of um, perception or how you feel about something. So for instance, uh, in the last election in the United States, I was pretty vocal about my position. Now, because I was actively talking about what I appreciated and what I opposed, um, I was getting ads 
for the things that I didn't agree with because I was shown as having an interest on it, because I may have gone to a site with that person's name in the meta tag data. And I might have used that person's name in the post that I did. And the, that person's name and likeness appeared in videos that I was posting, which is also part of how they find intent. Um, and also like it was in groups that I was talking to or any of those other things. And I started to get ads for like, uh, you know, like all this weird, like, you know, I won't get too deep into it, but I got a whole bunch of things that didn't necessarily agree with my political views or my lifestyle, right? Like there's no reason that because I am posting about how I don't like this person that I'm going to start to need to see ads for a whole bunch of tactical hunting gear and like doomsday and all this other shit. Um, so like interest group doesn't actually manage to whether or not you're pro or against something. So right there and also understand people generally talk about things that they oppose more than they talk about things that they appreciate. And, and, and this is a sort of a weird thing in, in, in the world, but especially if you go to Amazon reviews or you go to Yelp or you like, if you go to a great restaurant, you might tell a friend or two like, Hey, I just went to a great restaurant. Now, if you have a really bad experience, you can tell everybody that place sucks. If people are generally far more likely to share negative experiences than positive experiences. And that's just a facet of human nature. And it's more because we're trying to prevent other people from having a bad time, but good times. I mean, it's just sort of the social contract, right? And, and, and so that's something to really keep in mind. So let's just be very kind and say that um, one quarter of people that talk about a thing aren't feeling positive about it. Now, generally it might even be closer to half or more. So let's say you have an audience of an interest group of, let's say 10 million people, okay? That means out of that 10 million, 2.5 million don't actually, let's say there's 10 million people talking about a thing. Um, and a quarter of those people don't feel positively. So out of that 10 million people talking about it, only seven and a half that you might target actually care in a positive way about what you're talking about, which means 25 cents out of every dollar is going potentially to people that don't like you, which means your estimated action rate is going to go down, which means your bid in the auction is going to go up because people don't like you. So you're seen as an advertiser that is a burden on people's newsfeed. You're going to get a bad page score. You're going to get a lot of X outs. You're going to get a lot of negative commentary, which means your ads are going to be less effective because you're not reaching people that think positively about what you have to say. Second, the interest group isn't exactly a one-to-one -one relationship on everybody that's talking about a thing. So you might only capture 30 to 50 or 60%, the actual figure from Facebook is somewhere between 40 and 60% of people that talk about a thing and show an interest are actually included in that interest group. So out of, if 10 million people are talking about a thing, maybe only, let's say a nice number of 5 million of them, right in the middle of that 40 to 60, let's use a nice number, 5 million of them are actually in that interest group. And again, a quarter of those people don't even actually think positively about what you're doing. So out of 10 million people that are talking about something, there's only maybe three and a half million that actually think positively about it, but you're going to try to go after that audience. You're wasting 25 cents of every dollar, but you're already shrinking down. If you see an interest group of 10 million people, it's probably out of 15 or 20 million people that might be interested in the thing. So you're missing out on a large swath of individuals that might think very positively about something because that interest group isn't including all of them. And then the people that you do target, a large portion of them, probably close to 40 or 50% of them think negatively about what you have to say. So you're wasting 25 cents, 30, 50 cents of every dollar 
on people that don't think well about what you're doing. So your ad, not only is it not good to convert that person, but they're going to report back negative experiences about your ad based on just swiping through it, Xing out of that ad, hiding that ad, reporting you, or leaving Facebook because they saw your ad, which is going to make your ad account work less efficiently. It's going to reflect poorly on your page, and it's going to hurt your success long term. The last thing that we want to talk about when it comes to interest groups is that they are high level of competition. And what I mean by this is if you own the data, if that's your CRM group, that if your CRM list that you're making a lookalike audience off of, you're the only person segmenting those individuals in that way to target them, which means your, the competition for that inventory is inherently low. Now, say you're targeting a large interest group. There are two types of people, or really three, that are going to be targeting that interest group. Number one, you're going to get the people that are just boosting posts. Now, if you hit boost posts, which millions of people do every day, what it's going to do is it's going to give you a default option. If you're doing the interest groups, you can target with your boosted post. Now, this is only $5, 10 $20, maybe $100 per post, but millions of people do it every day. So you're competing with $50 to $100 million or more of people competing against that interest group and they're paying a premium to do it because they're not really hit to Facebook ads. So you're competing with all of these really low quality people that are clogging the feed on the interest group that you're targeting. The second group of people that you're targeting after are, are everybody that is also targeting that interest group because of their ad account. They're like, well, I've got this thing, so I'm gonna target those individuals. So that might be more thousands of people that are targeting that, but of the higher budget than 10 or 15 or $20. Like they might be spending $100 a day or $1,000 a day against this interest group. So you're not only are you competing with, you know, 50 to $100 million potentially uh, from low end users that are jacking up the price of that inventory, but you're also dealing with advertisers that are using that interest group to deliver business results. So they're competing in the conversion objectives, right? Because those first ones might just be traffic objectives, but it's overall raising the cost of inventory. Those conversion objectives might be driving up your cost for conversion because there's more people focusing on that limited inventory of people that are interested in buying based off of something potentially. So that cost is going up. The other thing, and I can tell you this is somebody that has spent over a million dollars a day for a certain accounts. When I was running CBS, for instance, uh, American News Network, when I was running their Facebook, we would spend a million dollars a day against interest groups to understand and do market research to see who liked something and who didn't. We could tell, does this show appeal to you know whoever? And they would use that money to go after advertisers to spy to buy commercials on the TV show. So for instance, I did the changeover when Stephen Colbert took over the, the Late Show, right? Or the Late Late Show, whatever it is, um, after uh, Conan O'Brien. Now we ran that against 50 interest groups and we were spending a million dollars a day before the show launched. And based on the information that we got, they were able to go after different advertisers and say, this show is going to appeal to X, Y, and Z. And we've done a bunch of market research. And hint, that market research is far more effective than doing a customer survey of 10,000 people or 100 people. Because you're reaching millions and millions of people for days and days on end or weeks on end to determine what this thing is. So not only are you competing with somebody dropping $5 or $10 on a boost post, and not only are you competing with some other advertiser, you know, hitting this interest group, you're also dealing with people that don't give a fuck about business results. They're looking for, in, in, uh, they're looking for intelligence. So they're jacking up the cost of that inventory. 
So when you're targeting an interest group, you're competing against, and the same thing happens for Tide, it happens for Levi's, it happens for New Balance, it happens for literally every billion dollar company. They're all doing this every single day. And they're spending seven figures and collectively against them, they're probably spending billions a day. Or at least hundreds of millions. I would be stunned if it's not billions a day on the ad platform to spike the cost of these interest groups. So when you're targeting these interest groups, you're competing with CBS, you're competing with everybody else in your direct market that is using that interest group, and you're dealing with all of these low entry level people that are just hitting boost posts and everything else. So when you're targeting interest groups, you're competing against all of these advertisers and you're doing it in a way that is not really likely to deliver you consistent results. And that leads us to the last point, which isn't one of the first three, but a nice little bonus feature, is that interest groups aren't stable. They could go away, they could disappear, they might come back. How they're defined might change depending on whatever developer, whatever engineer is defining that interest group because interest groups are actually collated by engineers that are using large amounts of data to define things. And there are hundreds of engineers that are working on this all the time. So how that interest group is put together might be completely different one week than it is the week before, which means that great audience that you were going after might disappear overnight. So it's not a way for you to build a sustainable business model. So while you might think I'm really clever because I'm targeting all of these things, you're actually focusing in on extremely high competition for extremely low quality users that may or may not be there tomorrow and that don't necessarily give a fuck about what it is that you're selling. So because of all that stuff, I really never try to rely on interest groups other than when I'm starting a brand off and I need to just get some forward momentum and I'm willing to pay that premium because I don't have enough data to do a lookalike and because we don't have enough runway with the client or with the, with the budget to test at broad and to just spend a while to get the results in. Um, the other thing about interest groups, what they do is if you do have a client, is it makes you look smart. And a lot of ad agencies throw that in there so they can say people interested in this and moms do this and fathers do that and all this other data that old school marketers look at that isn't really actionable is something that they'll focus on. Um, now, Remember this insight for CBS or you know your local Jamba Juice or your, uh, your sneaker company or whatever, it's actually really helpful for them to understand the rest of their marketing efforts, right? Like if they're going after where are we gonna buy billboards? Who are we gonna get to advertise our product? What commercials are we gonna have on our thing? Who are we gonna reach out to to try to sell? What kind of products are we gonna develop? All of this information comes from Facebook and it's far better than any market research firm, but if you're trying to sell something and you're competing against them, your $100 or $1,000 a day is dealing with millions and millions from people that don't give a fuck about actually making a sale. So that is just extremely difficult business when you, to, to compete with. And, and for that reason, I highly recommend that you try not to work on it. And, and to give a real world example, this would be like going to a convention floor and trying to hand out business cards when you're standing in between people with giant booths that have really bright, shiny lights that are doing everything else. Now you might get four or five or 10 really good relationships that you follow up on and maybe you get a client or a customer, but the other people are willing to spend $10,000 a day to completely lose money just so they can understand what people think, just to get people excited. For them, it is a loss leader, right? They don't give a fuck about the actual performance of it. They're just there to make sure that they're part of the conversation. 
And so if you're competing with them, remember that you are fundamentally competing with people that have different business objectives and it's going to hurt your bottom line. And it's not a way to build a business sustainably. So that's the lesson for the day. Remember your homework uh, is to identify two lookalike audiences and what their business objectives are. And you can message me on Twitter. You can post inside the Facebook group. You can DM me if you want to. You can friend me on Facebook, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, I would love it if you, if you would share the link to, to whatever, and, and, you know, follow me up. But yeah, so that is, um, you know, the lesson for the day there. And we got about 15 more minutes. So I'm going to use this time to open up a little bit of Q&A here on Clubhouse. And I'm going to point my microphone down at my phone. Ba -ba 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 -ba. There we go. Because this is also streaming live inside my Facebook group. And you can see this in replay at any point in time by joining the Facebook group or going to facebookdisruptor.com and uh, following anything else there. And if you want any of the links to any of that stuff, it's in my bio inside the Clubhouse. And if you're not following me on Clubhouse or Twitter, it's at CT the Disruptor. So with all that being said, uh, let's open things up. I probably have enough time for two or three questions. Isaac has a question. Hopefully he's still around and he still has it. So Isaac, uh, let me see here. I'm going to bring you on up. And let's see here. All right. You are now up as a speaker, my man. So uh, how can I help? You there, buddy? Let's see. Wait a minute. Oh, oh I have my phone down, my volume down. You there? Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Sorry, I had my phone really low so that uh, okay. I wouldn't ping off alerts while I was doing that live thing. I appreciate it. How can I help? Hey, um, I'll try to be quick with this so we get more in. Uh, very simple. I love everything you tell me. I gain a lot of knowledge every week. But my main thing is starting off a new brand. Um, where I'm gathering followers, I'm gathering data, it's all good and great, but maybe I don't have the um, most amount of money that I would love to for this um, e-commerce. Uh, what would your suggestion be after just hearing everything about interest groups? Um, how would you suggest maybe going about um, using a, a economical feasible budget, budget um, to get that uh, going with that? Yeah, sure. And this is honestly a question I get asked all the time and I love it, right? This means like you're at the edge of really starting to make a journey that, that is great. And, and so one, congratulations on even having the ability to ask this question because that is not easy. Um, and so let me answer it in a little bit more detail. So number one, um, if I have, a, if my blue sky, best case scenario is that I would be investing and trying to understand long-term wins. And what you really need, and, and my man Evan here, who's in the, in the group we work together uh, on some stuff, um, is great creative. Understand what the videos are, what the images are, what the words are that are likely to get people to show intent to buy. So the first thing I would really focus in on is getting creative testing underway. And what's most important about creative testing is not that you get like one slam dunk ad that you're happy about. It, it's that you um, are able to find out through many iterations, like what are the types of sales pitches that people respond to? And, and in that way, if I could do it exactly how I wanted to and had an infinite runway, I would do creative testing against a broad audience so that I could reach as many people as possible for as cheap as possible. And then I would use the, ad, the, the ads that work the best inside of my creative testing. And I would start to target maybe these different interest groups just so that I can get things, uh, uh, you know, just so I can get the ball rolling. 
Now, personally, if I can win at broad, I will just scale my results inside of that campaign. I, I've got an ebook, uh, I think it's ebook number 11. It, it's called One Campaign to Rule Them All. And, and this is quite literally, you can run your entire ad account on one Facebook campaign that is only doing creative testing, targeting every single person that's open to potentially buying your product. So if you're selling your product in the United States, you could win by just creative testing at broad. And it might take a while for you to get to the point where you're truly profitable. But if you can have next week be better than this week, and you're doing that by testing a bunch of ideas for videos and images and words, and over time you just remove the absolute worst performing option, right? You're just removing bad choices from the ecosystem. Now maybe this is you spent X amount of money on something that delivered you no clicks or no sales or something along those lines. You can find whatever it is that determines that this ad is worse than something else. And for this, I'm a big fan of using dynamic creative. Um, so you can upload like five images, five sets of copy, five sets of headline, and Facebook will put them all together in every single possible combination. Um, and it's really easy for you to do. And then you just look at results and you remove the worst performer maybe once a week. And what, what you'll find is the results of this campaign are going to eventually level out. So you're getting a stable result. And then as you remove bad choices, Say you've got five ads, one's delivering a $30 uh, cost per, one's delivering a 25, one's delivering a 20, one's a 15, one's a 10. And your average is a, a $20 cost per, right? If you remove the $30 option, your average is immediately going to go down because the algebra that's figuring out how you get an average cost, right? You're no longer gonna have that $30 element in there. So now you're immediately gonna become more efficient. And ultimately, if you can afford to, and this is a big thing because not everybody can afford to invest in long-term stability like this, but if you can, what you'll end up doing is finding ads that work against a broad audience, which means you'll never have an issue scaling your business and you'll be more, more stable than anybody else that is relying on lookalikes and broad audiences and retargeting and all of those other things which are great to get into but if you're starting a business, the number one thing is just finding out what type of sales pitch is going to get people interested in actually buying anything from you. So that would be my number one objective is just figuring out your sales pitch um, and staying as far out of the way of that success as you possibly can. So to kind of reiterate, I might do, if it were me and I had a limited budget, and, but I had a decent amount of time, I would do a dynamic creative testing campaign with a few sets of copy and headlines and images. And I would let Facebook put them together however it felt like. And I would just periodically, maybe once or twice a week, remove the worst option and maybe try a new one. Knowing that it might take a couple of weeks for me to get to a point where I'm profitable or stable even. But if next month can look better than this month and the month after that looks even better than next, then you're moving in the right direction in anything is that you're getting directionally better and better. And if you can invest in the future in that way, then you're likely to see very stable, sustainable results over time. And I would stress that that for me tends to be the most important thing, far more than finding something that makes me 10 sales today that goes away tomorrow. Um, I'm not really in the business of building lottery tickets. I'm in the business of building sustainable, scalable businesses. So right. that, that would be my thing. Uh, does, that, does that make sense?
so one last to bleed off on that question a daily budget if you could do a daily budget and i'm saying uh in in the ballpark uh, 20 to 50 dollars a day what would you want sure um and this is a great question i get all the time and i'm gonna try to give the best quality answer okay yep there are two ways that i'm going to determine my daily budget number one is I'm gonna identify what can I invest, right? So if I have a business, I'm gonna understand what level of investment am I gonna have? How much can I invest in my inventory? How much am I gonna invest in my storefront, right? How much am I going to invest by paying myself? Part of those things is also, what am I able to invest over the next month, the next three months, as part of your business plan to find customers in advertising? And then you can break it down that way. Maybe you can ultimately say, hey, I can invest five bucks a day or I can invest 500, whatever that is, right? Depending on your financial situation. Right. The other answer to that question is my ideal budget would be one large enough so that my creative testing campaign can get out of the learning phase. So theoretically, I'm able to hopefully drive seven or eight sales a day. And the way that I find that is, well, what's my target cost? If my target cost for making a sale is say 10 bucks, I would want my budget to be at least 70 or $80, hopefully, and, and again, perfect world. Not everybody can do this. This is as close as we can get, hopefully. Um, and that way, my campaign will ultimately not only be testing things to understand which is giving me the best result, but it's able to really use machine learning to build success on top of success so that those results can compound. And that's where you really start to see long-term performance. Just like in banking or investment, compound interest generates wealth, compound data generates stability and success. So to kind of reiterate, I would either try to solve this in one of two ways. Number one, understand from a business perspective what is the level of investment that i'm comfortable and i can afford making with a run rate of maybe a month or three months to understand whatever that time is right and understand that i can spend more money really fast or i can spend lesser money over a longer period of time what does that look like for me and generally the best way to do that is look to your business plan and your um you know your, your financial statements or those types of things to understand what's best for you or just say, hey, look, in a perfect world, if I can make sales for 10 bucks a pop, I'm going to be really happy. I want to be able to at least achieve that. And maybe I won't get to that point right away. So maybe it's my average cost is $15 and I'm not anywhere close to my target. But if I can generate seven or eight sales at 15, maybe next week they'll be 14 and next month it'll be 12. And then the month after that, I'm at nine. And I'm like, so by month three, I'm good. But in order to get there, I need to spend enough. So those would be the two ways that I would really look at to trying to define what my best budget would be to start. And if you have a limited budget, the way you deal with that is by having a limited amount of diversity in the platform. So if you are at the point where you can only spend enough for seven to 10 sales a day, I would recommend having only one campaign with maybe only one ad set and using dynamic creatives so that, um, you're able to focus as much spend in the fewest amount of places so that you can have the highest level of confidence in what is the worst option so that you can remove it. And if you remove the worst option week over week, month over month, you're going to get better. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. Anybody else have any questions? Um, all right. Well, with that then, uh, 
I'm going to take off. It's, it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday, or not Super Bowl Sunday, but it's, it's a football day. So I'm going to get focused in on that. And for those of you that are gamblers, I uh, have uh, three bets out there. I've got uh, Green Bay uh, with the spread, which is, I think, two and a half, and Bill's Money Line, which is like a plus 300 bet. Uh, so every dollar I spend gives me three, three, $3 back. I also have um, uh, Tampa Bay. And the Bills, I teased them up, as, as, and I teased down the overs. So I basically, as long as the games stay within 10 points and score over 45 points, I turn that's a, like a two, plus 200 bet. So I've got like 30 bucks there. That's gonna so so if I have 30 bucks there, it'll make me 60. And I also have um, the spreads and the overs in a nice parlay. And basically, um, every one if I were to spend fifty dollars, every one of those bets would make me over fifty dollars in return. So I've got three ways to at least make my money back. And if I hit two of them, I double my money. If I hit all three of them, well, then I'm doing far better than tripling my money. So um, not that this is a sports gambling uh, podcast or uh, TV show or whatever, but um, those are my tips on how you can uh, set all the money you've earned on fire uh, while watching football today. So with that, thank you all very much. I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I'm going to be doing this at this week time every week. So uh, thank you very much. I hope to see some DMs. I already got a lot of people that joined the Facebook group. And um, thank you all so much. I'll talk to you later. Bye. And.